Are we being asked to leave? Yes. I okay. Think, I think it's something you said. Good morning, BHA. We're with the journey. I'm joined here by um, master coach, uh, uh, life philosopher, um, all-round good guy, uh, a clown enthusiast, David McEachern, or as I call him, McGurkin. Um, mate, thank you for your time and good and welcome to Good Morning BHA. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, I think. Just briefly give our listeners, uh, yeah, your, your, your musical dash performance background and how you discovered Barbershop. Oh, interesting. Um, musical background, growing up, uh, lots of uh, folk singing and uh, brothers uh, who are musically inclined. <laughs> they have the actual talent in the family. And, so uh, not as stop it. That's, that's right. That's right. And uh, bluegrass band for a number of years, did the circuit, the bar circuit, and uh, also uh, festivals and that kind of thing. I play five-string banjo. and uh, um, Yeah, we gigged for a long time and then um, I was working uh, uh, running a hospital kitchen it's a bit of a sidebar but uh, one of the dietary aides came up to me and said you know you have a beautiful speaking voice and do you sing I said yeah I sing folk and she said you should sing barbershop and I knew what it was because whenever we'd be hitchhiking and we get stuck in the middle of the country uh, uh, at night we would harmonize and sing oh, cool. Silvery Moon and things like that that we had no idea we were doing and uh, just woodshedded. Okay. We had no idea what it was called. Four of you uh, Four or three, okay. yeah, whatever, uh, whoever it was. You had. Yeah, whatever we had. Cool. And so uh, so I walked out to the, the uh, Langley First Capital Chorus in British Columbia, just uh, near Vancouver, and uh, opened the door and they were in the middle of a song and... Uh, I was entranced. It was so it, it immediately hit you. Oh, it was magical. Yeah, it was fantastic. So cool. And that that became my yeah. So you knew you liked singing. You knew you liked harmony singing. You walked into the door and heard your first barbershop chorus. It was a good chorus. Yes, yeah. yes. And you just went, I've, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. so cool. So that that became my first barbershop family and uh, uh, lovely environment and people and just just. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, oh, fantastic. fantastic. Awesome. And so, um, uh, you, you, the, the other sort of acting and clown work you did, is that sort of in pa- parallel? Because you, you, that, that's been a, a part of your life for a long time Yeah, as well? I did some theatre a long, long time ago in the 70s, um, but then stopped for many, many years. And then uh, one day, Patrick Brown, who's a friend, he's a barber shopper as well, great coach, judge, uh, performance judge. We're, we're very good friends. We work together as well. And he said, hey, I'm auditioning. He'd done lots of theatre in Toronto. Uh, uh, good high-level community theatre would be the yeah, uh, cool. best description, I guess. And uh, he said, let's fiddle around the roof. They're looking for auditioning, and uh, we're gonna, let's go audition. That'd be fun. And he said, they're always looking for a good male uh, 
uh, singers and, and leads and stuff, so it'll be a shoe in, right? Well, it wasn't exactly a shoe in. It's a really good theater group, but we got we both got in, and uh, that was gee a decade ago or more. And uh, so I've done lots of theater since then, and clowning, uh, clown classes, and clown improv built shows over the years. Probably eight or nine of those, and. Uh, it's just been great training, so I'm an amateur, but but lots of uh, training because I need lots of training. Yeah, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, you you are a um, certified performance judge. Um, tell tell me how you decided to become a judge and how you chose the performance category. Um, I, a couple of people influenced me a lot. Uh, Aaron Howden, uh, who's a, a superstar. Uh, uh, coach, choreographer, director, also a great uh, baritone. Um, she was very supportive of me years and years ago and pushed me into the performance side uh, with the Dukes of Harmony. I was singing with them at the time. And uh, the other person is Barry Towner, who is a performance, long-term performance judge. Category specialist, yeah. Category specialist. So he uh, uh, influenced me a lot to join the performance category. And uh, so, yeah, I jumped in. But so you obviously were open to it, you, you knew that the, the judging existed and you went, yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, um, I, I wasn't looking for it, but when they presented it, I thought, you know, a number of things, maybe I could serve, do some good, or, uh, but probably it had more to do with, oh, there's some uh, something to be learned here, and, you know, there's uh, high regard for the performance judges, and well, so. Well, thank you for the segue, because, you, you know, you, you um, one of the things I admire most about you is, is the, not only the, the, the life skills and, and, and authenticity you bring to your work, but also um, the, um, the, the theatre and acting skills you bring to Barbershop. Well, what has the performance category and your training in that taught you? What has the performance category taught me? Yep. Um, yeah, that's a great question. The, the pathway in terms of coaching groups and judging groups uh, for me has been constant learning experience and trying to figure out as close as possible what, what the truth might be if there is one in performance. Um, and so the opportunity, the, the greatest gift has been the opportunity and trust to, to judge and to uh, uh, do evaluations with groups and talk and communicate and try and teach. and. Um, you know, I hate to disappoint. I hate putting down a wrong score, uh, and I hate to have a group and not be able to tell them something that that will help them and and uh, carry forward. So, it for me puts a fair amount of pressure to to be a good student and figure things out and try to be helpful, mm. etc. So that's probably the greatest gift, mm -hmm. aside from getting to. Uh, never often enough but sit down with fellow judges in all the categories uh, but certainly performance and just listen to them and their experience and their knowledge that's been unbelievable as a resource and inspiration for sure awesome um, something that's fairly topical I think certainly within the performance category what, what do you think um, barbershop can learn about authentic performances from the, the non barbershop performance world Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think um, th this point in my belief system, which is forever morphing and adjusting, etc., over the years, but 
Well, I think the essence of it uh, is that Barbershop has grown up as a an instrumentalist approach to singing, meaning using the voice as an instrument, uh, as a musician would, like a, a, a horn player, etc., etc., and applying that. I mean, just woodshedding, uh, tag singing. We're not doing that for the, you know, the, the lyric and the, the message. We're typically doing it to ring chords. Like, out of it. Yeah, it's, it's marvelous, right? <laughs> And that, that's our heritage to a great degree, and I think that has also attracted instrumentalist people, you know, who are singers. And the difference, to make uh, the point, is that the actor-singer is lyric-focused, uh, driven by the music as well. So in Barbershop, we tend to be more music-driven first, and then lyric is a, is a secondary thing. That may be a controversial statement, I don't know, but that's my belief. One of many on the podcast. This is, this <laughs> oh, is why the podcast is such a controversial thing. Could we, we edit this before? <laughs> Ash edits it all in, po- in, in post. <laughs> Watching my <laughs> reputation dissolve in front of my eyes. Um, so, um, to put you on the spot, what, what are some of the um, key, uh, I guess, mistakes that you see so commonly that, that, that if, we, if, we, if we were able to educate uh, performers, we could just, you know, the rising tide, you know, raises all boats. Is... Yeah, I, I would say uh, I don't see mistakes per se. Mm-hmm. I see different belief systems in performance. And a belief system, for example, uh, that I run across is uh, in terms of emotional expression, vulnerability, is the belief that, well, I'm not really built that way. Um, uh, or I really am expressing myself, but, but it's a tricky thing, right, to be vulnerable. and um, So belief systems are a big challenge in, in our world, and, and so, for so good help, reason, by helping, the way. Helping people remove the ceiling. It's like, oh, actually, oh, there is more there. Like well, sure. Is, yeah. Sure. So, for, for example, um, you know, people say, well, I, I'm not that gifted a performer, you know, in terms of being expressive, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, that's not really who I am. And and I'll say, well, you know, I walked in the room and you were all laughing and I couldn't pick out the good performers from the bad. You're the perfect you. That's right. You're the perfect you. And so so I don't really buy that, you know. I I know there's stoicism and there's blocks and stuff like that. And there's good reason for all that. But... But in terms of ability, nobody on on the international stage has any advantage over anybody else in terms of ability to express. We do it all the time, all day long, you know. And even a Stoic will uh, uh, does express in the extreme situation. So it's unlocking that. So so riddle me this, Batman. Um, uh, um, I think that one of the greatest gifts that that um, any performance, but barbershop included can give people and particularly men in a stoic society is the opportunity to be vulnerable i think a lot of men myself included are looking for opportunities to be vulnerable you know in the world and being on stage gives you permission to do that when as we've discussed in a lot of the rest of life you don't really have permission to be vulnerable um can you talk about that a bit yeah that's uh yeah the world uh the world is a beautiful place but there's moments of being unfriendly out yeah. there. So being vulnerable out in the world 
isn't necessarily always the best strategy, yeah. right, for survival and etc. Depending on what what work you do, yeah. etc. So, but that's right. Performance, it's expected that you be vulnerable, yeah. and uh, so it's a great environment to do it. The challenge is uh, learning and allowing yourself to, to jump in that pool. Some people will want it, and other people will resist it. That's be becoming vulnerable. That's right. Yeah. yeah, many, many people resist it. Yeah. Um, and not not even be aware of it. They think they're not uh, resisting, but, you know, it's a protective thing. <laughs> so, uh, and you'll see it in the read of the performance when there's lots of hand movement. Yes. Sometimes that's musical expression, but often it's busy expression for the brain that protects yes. you from being... It's, it's, it's the, 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 the classic yeah, hand in front of you which is sort of the psychology protecting me from yeah. this threat that's in front of me yeah, of being yeah. exposed. It can be that. If it's if it's natural expression, that becomes obvious that it's just an extension of what yeah, you're yeah. expressing. That's certainly uh, uh, even encouraged, you know. So, yeah, that kind of thing is, uh, it's tricky, you know. And the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, we, we tend to, the, the royal we, um, we rehearse to perfection so we can be uh, have that facade of perfection on stage. But my belief is that uh, you know if you if you go on a stage and allow the world to see your scars and your warts, now we'll love you for that. You know the perfect slick performance, not so much. We'll enjoy it and we'll, we'll even give you a standing O for those beautiful chords, etc., etc., and and mood generation, you know, but, uh, but if you go out there and you not only allow us, but invite us to judge you, and you're open to that and acceptable and you're transparent, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's, you cannot, and um, Barbara Cook, who was uh, Marion on Broadway, she's a... She's a fabulous performer, fabulous. And I, she said uh, once that uh, the place you're most afraid to go, that place of vulnerability, is actually the safest place to be. And it's true. When you go there and you allow people to judge you and uh, you accept judgment, they can't hurt you. There's no... In fact, the audience loves you for it and you'll feel so protected. But that... That uh, short little step is a mile long, and it's over a canyon. <laughs> you make it sound so easy. Um, so, uh, moving on to your thank you for that, by the way. Uh, uh, so much to process, so much gold there. Um, you, you, you've uh, uh, people wrongly say you've been lucky enough, blah blah blah. You, you've had some fantastic opportunities to coach and, and be involved in some of the great performances of all time. I guess um, tell us briefly how those opportunities came about and then uh, yeah, take a couple of examples of, of the process of coming up with um, whether it be the robot set or the, the veggie set or whatever else it was that, that, that uh, audiences have loved so much. Um, interesting, yeah. You're, I've been super, super blessed and, and the blessing comes from people crazy enough to, to actually <laughs> believe that that could be a entertaining or interesting or good performance uh, because there's high risk to it or perceived risk at least and um, so for me the blessing has been people who 
who've assumed risk, Steve Armstrong, if he, if he ever hears this, he, we've chatted a lot, and uh, man, he is uh, just many times, okay, let's do it. Right. And, uh, you know. As in trusting you, going, I don't, I, I don't understand, I, I don't yet understand where this is going, but I trust you, let's go there, is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, right, yes. wow. And to do it with, uh, uh, and he's, the buck stops with him. Yeah, he's responsible. He's that's accountable that's, for it. Yeah, that's right. And of course, I would, uh, if it was a complete failure, I would say, "Well, that was Steve's the leader. I mean, he's the <laughs> he's the incompetent one, clearly." So he employed me. What's, what's he doing? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so that really is the gift for me. Yeah. Is that ability and trust and. And that's grown over the years. So, so, well, so, what's the process? Um, um, whether it be with yeah, with KVU, uh, TNL, etc. We've got some nice uh, TLAs going here, nice three-letter uh, abbreviations. <laughs> um, but um, you, it, it, it can be in any order. You come up with an idea and find a song for that. You find a song you want to sing and come up with a, with a parody idea. <laughs> like it, it can start from any direction and then and then add the layers. Yeah, any any of those and all all of the above. So. Um, Gee, what's an example? O often, for me, it's concept first. Songs are, are chosen to fit the concept. Okay. Yeah. So, but that's uh, that's just one way to approach it. Sometimes it's a song that inspires you, and uh, the way you go with that, and you build around it, and make it work. Um, so, an example would be here's a funny one. Um, you know, for a year I've coached many groups over the years at, at all kinds of different levels, and. Um, you know, coaching uh, around some of the smaller chapters in the farming communities, etc., where you do have a riser full of stoics, you know, uh, and uh, trying to uh, find the way to allow them to express themselves in a way that's that's actually uh, organically, naturally animated, and as opposed to saying "raise your eyebrows," <laughs> you know. And uh, we'll be good with that. No, be joyous. And, and, uh, so finding that, and uh, uh, you know, I would drive home after a session, and I would always think about how do you get things to stick? Because I'd go back a month or two later and coach again, and often start from scratch. And I thought, yeah, this isn't working, and it's it's my terrible coaching that's the problem, right? If it's not sticking, it's well, I'm an idiot. I'm not figuring it out. Need to so, find a new yeah, direction. Yeah, I'd find new direction. So, I was coaching a group, uh, and I, on the way home, thought, how could I get them to express and break down that barrier? And I thought, you know what? The next session I had, I had them imagine you're Marcel Marceau, the famous uh, uh, mime, artist. mime artist. You know, a mime, the bread and butter is is uh, uh, expression without speech, yep. right? And, and communication without speech that is so clear and so emotional and it's, it's beautiful. So I would ask them, you know, how would Marcel express this and just mime it? And, and because they'd seen him enough for a lot, they, it always came from the inside out instead uh, of the outside in. Instead uh, of just looking happy, uh, they would feel wow. happy and deliver. And it was pretty effective. And so uh, I remember driving home, and it was a long drive, and thinking, okay, that, that tool worked really well. You're always looking for tools. I thought, boy, if only you could just 
have them perform as Marcel Marceau, then you solve the whole problem. I love this. Yeah. And so then it was, and I'm a very visual person, so immediately could see, you know, TNL back then, 40 or 50 mimes on stage. Yeah. I thought that's a striking yes. image. Yes. And uh, that's how that was born. And then, of course, that set. The problem is, well, <laughs> mimes don't make any sound. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a challenge. So, <laughs> so at the same time, I thought, well, you have to overcome that. Yeah. And then it was, well, that's because of behind the barrier. And if you just slide that barrier, so good. you'll yeah. hear them. And so good. So that's how all that was born. And then from there, it was, uh, you know, of course, David Wright, who's been a long-term coach and mentor. And, find music with him and uh, uh, Steve and then we all talk about it and yeah. develop it and yeah. then the team puts it all together. Yeah. But basically that's where that silly concept came yeah, from yeah. was the coaching tool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so, so listeners look up uh, the, the, uh, the mime set with uh, TNL and uh, a bunch of their other things as well as uh, KV, KVU stuff. Um, did, did you do the, the stage presentation for Man in the Mirror? Uh, yeah. What's the other one? Man? I think that's the. So yes, that's the one. Like looking off to one side. No, 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 no. The one I'm thinking of is um, uh, every breath you take. Yes. Can you talk to us about that? Because that was a, that was a, a compelling performance. Yeah, that was uh, with Kentucky Vocal Union. Yes. Uh, Aaron Dale, director, and um, uh, Aaron is a uh, one of the very, very best arrangers and creative people, gifted, um, and. We talked about the arrangement and piece of music. So I think that was the first time I went to coach KVU. And uh, um, so, no, it actually wasn't. It was <laughs> probably the second time. But so I went to a coaching session with them and uh, just staged it kind of on the fly. Uh, in, in that song. So they, they sang it and you sort of got some ideas. Are we being asked to leave? Yes. I okay. Think, I think it's something you said. <laughs> that tends to be the case. All right, we'll, um, we, we may pick this up later. All right, so picking up where we left off, we're just talking about the, the visual package for uh, Every Breath You Take. David McGurkin, take it away. <laughs> the visual package, yeah. I went down to do a coaching session with them and they sang the song, it's a beautiful arrangement. Mm. And, uh, and you know this, the challenge with it is that having a group of people singing it as a unit is not particularly lonely or or uh, uh, real in terms of personal experience. Mm -hmm. So, so as much as possible, the staging was spread and angled to to create some. Uh, so there were individual performers in their own world, and, uh, 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 partly to so the performer felt by themselves and exposed, mm. and, uh, and partly for the audience that they would uh, they would give that feeling mm. um, as much as possible, as much as you could. And so with that, even the movement was uh, based on a number of things. One is individual movement mm -hmm. uh, that seemed um, 
a little unusual in terms of starkness, and uh, and so those those characters to me were all interesting in their own right. So it, it kind of showcased individuals in, in their own uh, uh, reminiscing or uh, their internalized thoughts. But it also, uh, you know, juxtaposed with times of unit movement. Mm -hmm. um, overall arc of it was about uh, scarcity of movement and stillness and uh, so and that is kind of based on yeah, an old friend of mine who's who's past this world uh, we were in a band together years ago he's a blues guitarist and a really good blues guitarist and I'd asked him one day how do you how do you know what what to play because he could just play the blues all day and it was amazing right he was just uh, it was him an extension of him. Yeah. His response was, well, it's knowing what not to play. Yeah. So it's the absence of things that, that uh, and so that reduces it to just the essence of expression and uh, without, without any gilding of the lily, if you will. That stuck with me uh, over the years. So this was, in some ways, uh, you know, when you have absence of movement, it can be the most powerful thing, especially after movement. And uh, it also exposes the performer in terms of almost forcing them into transparency. If they don't have choreography and movement, you're on your own. You know, you're not blocking yourself, etc., uh, etc. Et so that all of those elements were, were involved in that. Yeah. And, and also on the practical side, you know, if you look at it, there's a point where everybody goes upstage into a very tight clump and then delivers uh, partly for dramatic effect, partly for uh, putting a small group together so they could sing those powerful chords mm. as tight as yeah, possible. Yeah, that, that, that sort of rushing to one side of the stage and looking in one direction, that was one of the most powerful moments in, in the performance. Right, the uh, uh, the movement being choreographed together yes. and, and en masse. Yeah, yes. it's just so. And then a, stopping. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. In broad sense, it's it's thinking in terms of not individuals but tsunami wave. Yeah. And the power that you can create with that kind of yeah. movement. And, uh, but it, but it's not. Um, it's simple. You know, you make it simple and clear if you can. And, and were you the architect behind? The, uh, the KVU, um, the five people in the front row doing some pretty cool stuff and then everyone else doing simpler stuff behind? Oh, um, uh, if I had you, uh -huh. is that correct? Yeah, that's, that was the first thing I did with KVU. <laughs> now, I did not, uh, the only thing I choreographed was the Since front. I don't have you. I'm sorry? Since I, since I don't have you. Since I don't yeah, have you. Yeah, 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 forgive me. Yeah, so... Uh, the only thing I choreographed in that was the, the front five, yeah. um, the homage to the Temptations a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, the choreographer um, is actually a, a wife of one of the chorus members. Okay. She's fantastic. And uh, um, she choreographed 
yeah. the whole package and stuff. So I, I had very little there, just, just that front little bit yeah. of the five when they walk out and do their thing. And the staging at the very start where people are sitting down and yeah. uh, doing that. But that's all. And then anything I worked on was style-based. Yeah. Trying, to, trying to get some authenticity into that, that yeah. style for those five. The, it was yeah, it was a very cool performance. And is that that's a, a model that would be pretty readily transferable to a lot of other choruses? Just just the you know simple stuff on the risers and front row. I mean, a lot of <coughs> correct me if I'm wrong. I think a lot of Sweat Airlines choruses really make a you know feature of the front row. Like they've got the front the floor team they call it, and they do a whole lot of you know sure. be bells and whistles, and then the, and then the riser people do less stuff. No, there are endless ways to approach it. Mm. There's certainly one of endless one ways. Of many. Yeah, one of many. <laughs> Um, the thing about um, scarcity of movement or being judicious with movement or simple movement doesn't mean it's easy. It's, you, in fact, it's, it's harder than doing ambitious choreography in a sense. Yeah. Different, different skill set. Yeah. And one of them is that you can't just do the movement and all is good. It has to be driven by internal thought. Because mm -hmm. we're sophisticated readers of body language. Yes. You know, we get impressions. Whether we know it or not. Yeah. That's right, whether we know it or not. So if it's, if it's thought driven, the right kind of thought, then it affects us. Bag. Yeah, I think it was the authorities. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <coughs> Mr. Arendale huh. may join us here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That will be uh, awful. Just nothing but just trouble. Awful. It'd just be awful. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, simple movement doesn't mean simple in terms of easy. It means simple in terms of unadorned. Yes. And that can be m more challenging for a performer because you feel more exposed. There's not as much to do. Yeah. yeah. It's just you have to be yourself. Yeah. You can't. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Again, it's, it's simple. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the challenge. I guess one question, one question um, you might have thoughts on that would be that would be might be pretty useful for listeners is um, do, would you have some key thoughts on the key things that a group scoring in the 50s should focus on, or a group scoring in the 60s should focus on, etc. Like different levels um, of, of, of some, some of the fundamentals that people would it would be most beneficial for them to work on. Sure, um, when you're getting into the 50s and 60s, um, because of the style of music we're, we're singing, performing, you really need to have technical foundation down. You need to sing in tune. Mm. That's just, uh, um, having said that, it doesn't mean you can't express yourself when you're doing that. So you can always put those together, but um, you know the way to do it is work on the technical, work on that, again, be obsessive about it. And it's kind of the same at every level, but there's just different amounts of time spent on it, depending on the level. Mm. So you need to ring the chords, or it's a non-starter. Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you don't do that, then we're not going very far. Yeah. So, uh, so people will ask me, well, at what point in time do you start embedding the expression into the music? Yeah. And uh, different different trains of thought over the year on our different perspectives over the years. Um, often it's, you need to be technically 
super solid and then you can move towards that and I used to believe that and then I used to believe that no that doesn't work you need to glue it together so you should be performing right off the bat because the professionals the studies done on this yep. professionals will will express themselves the first pass through music right but the professionals also read music at a level that they can do that, yes. right? In our world, it's not as, uh, uh, you know, we take, generally speaking, we take time to, to learn music. We, we have to spend a, a good amount of time just to get notes and words. And so. so my answer now is, uh, it seems to hold hold up under scrutiny and, and uh, uh, um, use, that is, you start expressing yourself as soon as possible, meaning as soon as you have a good enough facility with the music, uh, notes, lyric, um, that your brain is going to struggle a little bit when you start embedding the emotion. And uh, that's when it will start to marry together. And you have to keep going back to the technique. You have to keep working that. You're never done there. But, but that will um, glue it together so that when you get on a stage, it doesn't fall apart because you've introduced uh, emotional uh, expression or movement, you know, two weeks before a contest, for example. Well, there won't be a lot of glue there. You know? So lots of things can go, go awry, if you will, on stage. So um, as soon as possible. It's, it's, it's different. It's different for every individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on... Um, um, working something so hard or doing so many reps particularly close to a contest on the day before or the day that you kind of you lose the chemistry and the the, 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 the sizzle of the performance because you've kind of just you've just you know had it in the ringer and suddenly it's become a little bit the energy's a bit flat you've lost the chemistry yeah it's a challenge the, the brain is this is an amateur talking about this I have no idea what I'm talking about okay just to be clear probably ever but especially here you know the the brain uh, uh, filters things, otherwise it would make us crazy. You know? So, for example, yeah, we can't just take all um, uh, inputs all into our senses all the time. We'd just be overloaded. That's right. Yep. We'd be overloaded. So we, the brain's designed to filter things out. So uh, familiarity breeds contempt in the true sense, where you know we dismiss things once we're familiar with them. So when you rehearse. And rehearse and rehearse, the brain starts to shut down, and you you lose contact with the actual meaning of what you're delivering, and you're just uh, becoming more robotic. You're almost yeah, training yourself to go through the motions. That's correct. So, so you have to um, sing it again for the first time, perform it again for the first time. And so it's always finding ways to, to relive that, digging deeper into it, finding new meaning and new nuance, etc. And, and the music, frankly, should always be developing. Like Tony Bennett singing I Left My Heart in San Francisco yet again uh, at his, you know, 10,000th performance is probably an understatement. Um, how does he do it? Well, he is so hooked into that song and the experience and the audience and the love. And the, so it's not just the song in his case. And uh, uh, it's not just that he he looks like he's in love with everybody when he when he delivers it. I think he actually is. I think you know. It's, 
just uh, so. If you the more you dig into the song, and here's really the nut of it. If you can move from song singer to song writer. Uh, conceptually, in other words, moving to being the songwriter, uh, you didn't actually write the song, but you could have. Right, wow. Right. So that's really where you want to get to in the performance. He could have written the song. I could have written the song. It's so embedded in me and deeply, I'm so attached to it in terms of my expression. There's some gold right there. So uh, that's that's always the goal. So, um, and to do that, I'll just <laughs> jump on something yeah. else here, is that uh, when you perform, uh, you'll always be in one of two states of mind. You'll be either preoccupied or occupied, and to different degrees at different times. And preoccupied is, you know, the... Oh, the lights on stage are bright, I'm nervous, I don't know the music as well as I could, or here's that high note coming, or here's that chord that we always struggle with, or the judge wrote something down, and of course those jerks always write bad things down. Jerks. Jerks, yeah. And uh, so that's preoccupied. That's, that's anything except the music that you're, you're completely embedded in. And occupied is... How much are you the songwriter when you're performing? Complete, being completely occupied is uh, the world disappears and you're simply expressing yourself on stage. There's a certain serenity about that, isn't there? You just lose yourself in it. Yeah, it's pretty zen. Well, we can say, oh, I was in the zone, or they were in the zone, you know? That term applies to many, many things, but, but that's really where it is. And the experience is often that the music takes on its own life. Right? And that's because you're out of the way. You're just... You're informing the music uh, emotionally and musically and delivering it. And, but that takes a high degree of, uh, of engagement and understanding. And, you know, you, you have dug into that music uh, with uh, intention for a very long time. And, and it's part of your fiber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that goes together, in other words. No. Well, mate, thank you for that. Um, it, it, awesome chat, and I'm sure that uh, that Ash will um, uh, will uh, edit out all of the uh, the interruptions of, of security staff coming up and saying, "Please leave the building." Um, but um, yeah, mate. Uh, <laughs> Shh, I stopped recording for that. Um, but uh, no, uh, mate, thank you for, for uh, everything you've done in, in Barbershop. Thank you for the, the judging and the evals you've done, and thank you for the, the coaching and just uh, you, and, and your role in creating some of the most iconic performances in Barbershop history. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Richard. And uh, a lot of people involved in all those performances. And great to see you in
Every single day, every game you play, 